Welcome everyone to HPAC On The Air. Our special guest this month is Nick Espinosa, the CIO, keynote speaker, author, podcaster, and a member of the Forbes Technology Council. Our topic is cybersecurity. As chief security fanatic at the consulting firm Security Fanatics, Nick has spoken multiple times at Mechanical Contractors of America Association events, so he knows our industry well. But more importantly, he also knows your computer systems and their vulnerabilities better than you do. So Nick, welcome. Thanks for having me, glad to be here. Sure, now, now to get things started, why don't you, if you could, just tell us a little bit about, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came to be MCAA's go-to consultant on cybersecurity. Yeah, so uh, I actually, uh, you, you, did, you gave me a pretty good intro and all of that on, on top of those things. Um, I have a nationally syndicated radio show that's on NPR affiliates, hopefully near you. And, uh, you know, I've also co-authored a book. Uh, I sit on various boards, including the College of Arts and Sciences of Roosevelt University, where I help them spin up an NSA certified cybersecurity program. Um, I'm a strategic advisor to Human ID, and uh, we're doing some really interesting things at the moment with uh, the United Nations uh, that is kind of in a holding pattern at the moment, but we're working on developing uh, cyber defense strategies for developing nations, those that you know need the help the most. So, so I've got a lot of really fun things uh, going on. And the reason why I'm the MCAA's chief security fanatic, which is my official title at Security Fanatics, is because of boredom. And, <laughs> and, I, and that's, the, that's the honest to God truth. Literally what happened was MCA Chicago uh, basically had a tech day event with a cybersecurity speaker that they found boring. And they said, we need to find somebody else. And then I was referred into by a, you know, somebody that worked with the MCA and also knew my business partner and said, hey, you should try Nick. And so I did their their next tech day, I think it was in 2017. And they said, great, you know, we actually want to, you know, we want you to talk to uh, members of the, the national MCAA. And uh, so one of them did, Brian Helms. And he said, why don't you come and do my event in Milwaukee for my MCA chapter? And I said, sure. And I did that. And he said, great, now you're going to the national tech conference. And at that point, it was game on. I met John Gentile and Tim Brink and, and everybody. And, and they said, oh, no, we're going to have you back. And we want to work with you. And it's been, it's just been a great collaboration. And I have to say, I work in a ton of different verticals. You know, I'm not just in mechanical or construction or AEC, um, but I have to say the friendliest conferences and the coolest people happen to be just in the construction industry. So I'm, I've been absolutely loving it for the last few years. Well, that, that's nice to hear. And that's, uh, it's nice that our, our conferences are, are fun. <laughs> they are, they are. Since, since hopefully they're coming back too. Now, touching on that, I guess, just going into Amid all the worries that uh, that are concerning all of us this fall, you know, from the Delta variant to, to vaccine mandates and and the, uh, the economic recovery that, that that seems to be teetering a bit. Now, one concern that seems to be flying under the radar is um, is cyber ransom and cybersecurity. But every week it seems that we hear of some new example somewhere of a uh, of a breach and and a concern. Now, I think I recently mentioned to you the example of a that a friend here in in, uh, in the Midwest had told me about it, a large engineering firm that got hacked um, over a weekend. Uh, I think everybody in the firm came in on a Monday morning and, and found all their systems that had been locked up. Uh, and they only have avoided paying a ransom because their own IT people had just coincidentally transferred servers, I think, the previous week. So all of their data had just been duplicated and preserved. Um, so they were able to avoid the uh, the, the crisis there. But what sorts right. of stories? What sorts of stories are you hearing? And and I guess, especially in the construction industry, or or that would be most relevant to the construction industry. Yeah, I mean, so ransomware tends to be agnostic to the vertical, but the most experienced ransomware gangs actually do a lot of reconnaissance and research 
on the targets they hit. That's why we knew the Colonial Pipeline hit was actually amateur hour. You know, they had a stolen username and password in the dark web. They were able to log right into Colonial Pipeline and they didn't actually shut down the pipeline. They didn't even touch the pipeline. They couldn't get to it. They basically hit the billing system and locked it out. And Colonial Pipeline said, well, we don't know what to bill our suppliers that we're delivering fuel to. So when faced with the choice of figuring out the billing later and letting the gas go versus the national panic option of shutting down gas to the entire eastern seaboard, we all know what they chose. And so when these organizations or when these um, hacker collectives or, or these criminal organizations are doing reconnaissance, one of the primary targets they have actually is the AEC industry. In fact, it's the largest um, hit because one, most of AEC isn't running on margin, like low margin profitability, like a gas company would like Colonial Pipeline, which is why I bring them up. And also um, a lot of AEC contractors are always on deadlines. They're always you know, having to, to you know, meet these deadlines for building or installing or whatever they're doing. And so by virtue of that, statistics show that AEC companies are more likely to pay faster than other organizations out there or other verticals out there. And so by virtue of that, you become a much larger target. And that's something that we've seen. I mean, I personally, uh, you know, had a ransomware breach, uh, you know, for a new client that, you know, we had just started working with, um, you know, a few months ago in AEC, uh, locked out about 700 people from their organization, destroyed terabytes of data and all of this, and they wanted $5 million to unlock it, you know? And the problem that we are seeing is that as this continues to, to grow, regardless of the vertical, we're now starting to walk into quadruple extortion, uh, you know, from these gangs. They're getting incredibly aggressive with this. And because they've stolen your information ahead of time, they know the insurance policy you have. They know your bank statements. They know exactly how much you can pay to the point where it won't put you out of business. It's a really tough pill to swallow, but you'll swallow it and you'll, you'll pay. So it's a huge, huge problem. So that example that you just cited with the, with the $5 million ransom request, was that was paid? Yeah, so that was negotiated down um, yeah. to, uh, to around a million dollars. But you, you can actually see in negotiations where it's like, well, we can't afford this and blah, blah, blah. And then they throw up the insurance policy. Well, we have a copy of your insurance policy and page 42 says you can pay this. So we want this, <laughs> you know, oh my so it, 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 make, it makes negotiation very difficult. You know, that's the second level of extortion. You know, the first level is essentially locking out your data. And if it stays there, maybe you've got a good backup and you can just recover and hopefully restore operations very quickly. The second level of extortion is they copy out all of your sensitive data and they ransom it against you. So even if you can restore from backup, they say, we're still gonna put all of us out there in the dark web. We're gonna ruin your reputation. Nobody's gonna wanna work with you anymore and on and on and on. So, so it's those two, those are the first two levels of extortion and it's, it's been prolific. And I can honestly say just in cybersecurity, I think I've been more busy in the last 12 months than I have in three years with ransomware. And our number one call is continuously, you know, data breaches and all of that, followed by the number two call, which I'm happy to see is, yeah, I just had a competitor or a friend get hit. I don't want to be that guy. You know, let's let's tighten up the ship here. Is there anybody policing it or where, where uh, on a national level or, or local level? Or who, who is policing this, if anyone, at this point? Well, I mean, so we have international law enforcement. We have federal law enforcement. So oftentimes the, the, the more the larger ones, for example, the colonial pipelines of the world oftentimes are involving the FBI. Um, and because it's international, it usually um, has international groups like Interpol or Europol that are attached to it. But some of the problems that we have is one, oftentimes it can be very hard to track criminals. The second part that we have uh, difficulty with 
is the fact that they're using cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, to actually receive their payments. And, you know, I don't have to give anybody my name, my number, my social security information, a driver's license to set up an account to, to run cryptocurrency in the same way I would if I walked into like Chase Bank here in the United States. And so it makes it much harder to track these transactions as they can disperse these funds across multiple platforms. You know, so, so those are the kinds of things that, that make it more difficult. And the third problem we have is that some companies, or excuse me, countries give these attackers safe haven. So for example, Revil, the Revil ransomware gang, all indicators point to them being in Russia. They have never once hit a Russian company ever because you don't bite the hand that feeds you. And the government of Russia essentially turns a blind eye and lets them do what they want because they can coincide with Russian intelligence, just like the Russian mafia can. And so you've got ransomware gangs sitting inside of Russia that are simply aren't even getting slaps on the wrist. This is, it was it got to the point where um, President Biden earlier this year actually told Putin that when they got together in that summit back in like, I think March or April or whenever that was to say, hey, you've got to stop hitting the 16 critical infrastructure cores of the United States, but you also have to start going after these gangs. You can't give them safe harbor in Russian internet space anymore. And that's still happening today. So it's a huge problem. So when you, you mentioned before about uh, when, when folks find out that their competitor got hit or another company that they work with got hit, so, so what, what are you advising folks to do? What, what, what can engineering firms do to protect their data? And, and even, I mean, now that so many of us are working at home too, I would think that that, that, that creates uh, uh, different levels of security when you're working at home and working in the office. And so, so what are you right. advising folks to do at this right. point? Well, and remote access, safe and secure remote access is definitely one aspect of a cybersecurity strategy, right? Um, but typically when we're walking into organizations, it's usually starting with an assessment, understanding the principle of CIA or confidentiality, integrity, and availability of data, how you're keeping things private, how you're making sure they're not altered or tampered with, how you're making sure you have uptime, your availability. And then we're applying that through controls or safeguards of physical controls, meaning are we locking the servers up at night? Do we have cameras out there you know, on the building? Technical controls, meaning firewalls, antivirus, encryption, you know, alerting and awareness, you know, all those kinds of things. And then the administrative trolls, the policies, the procedures, the training that that people have to go through in order to understand, you know, what a phishing, you know, phishing email looks like. A lot of people click links, they shouldn't, those kinds of things. So that's essentially what we're talking about when we're going into any organization, uh, you know, to understand that essentially the cybersecurity solution follows the data. And by virtue of that, you're building a secure infrastructure around it. You're building perimeters with threat detection around email, around your office, around your people, you're training your people. So, so there's a complete calculation that, that goes into creating this. I would never walk into any organization and say, I can make you hack proof. And if anybody is listening to this and somebody is walking in saying, I can make you hack proof, they are lying to you and you should not work with them. But what I can do is make basically your network such a pain in the butt to break into that the hacker is going to move on. We, we are lazy. We go for low-hanging fruit. My goal every day is to wake up at the crack of noon. I never get to do it, but that's my goal every day. I, we're, we're lazy folks by, you know, so we're going to go for the easier targets and layering that security doesn't make it harder for your employees to work or operate or function, but it does make it harder for me to break in. And especially if they're trained right, it's going to be a lot harder for me to fake one of them out when I'm connecting them on Facebook or emailing them in, in the office or whatever that is. So have you seen firms, I mean, I know this is broader than uh, than just the AAC community or whatever, but are more firms hiring their own IT security people or, or going to consultants or, or how, are they, how are they addressing, being aggressive in, in trying to address this? 
Well, one of, one of the big issues is that we simply trust as an organization and, and we have a problem here with managed service providers or IT companies. A lot of IT companies or managed service providers put out a shingle to say, hey, we're doing cybersecurity, we'll give you a cybersecurity audit, we'll implement cybersecurity. And usually at best, what they're doing is data security. Now, if I'm looking at a holistic framework for cybersecurity, there are in, in NIST 800, for example, there are 22 categories that you have to meet, one of which is data security. And it's a very critical thing, but understanding that your cybersecurity doesn't start and stop with a firewall and antivirus and a good backup is beyond important. And so one of the issues we have in cybersecurity is essentially walking through the door where they say, oh yeah, we've got a third party IT, you know, they've been doing our cybersecurity and we look at it and we're like, oh honey, no, <laughs> no, oh no. <laughs> You know, no, it's not like, you know, here's how I can download an infection through that firewall they, they claim is, is bulletproof and it's not, you know, and, and so that is one of those issues. And it's like, it's like, we don't know what we don't know. And by virtue of that, we trust, you know, like, so I don't work on cars. I love cars. I don't do my own oil change because I would blow the damn thing up. And if, and if my, if my, uh, you know, my mechanic came to me and said, you know, you have a broken thing, a malarigothoid on your, your car. <laughs> Okay, I trust you. You know, you've worked on my cars for years. I know what you're talking about. And maybe he just doesn't happen to know this model of car that I bought, but he's not going to tell me that because we've had such a great relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so those are the things that we really have to take into, into account. And a lot of organizations have no idea that their local IT guy or local IT company is not the same as cybersecurity. We are trained vastly different. You will never hire me to fix your printer unless you want to be vastly overpriced and I would never take that job anyway because that's not what I focus on. But your IT people, we love them. They'll keep the lights on, they'll keep everything running, but they don't have the same training that we do. Is there any, with, with your work in, in, in multiple industries, is there anything specific to, and I actually, you kind of mentioned it earlier with, with construction and engineering about being so deadline driven. Is there anything else that, uh, are there security measures that, that construction firms or engineering firms for architects might take that, that are different from some of these other industries that, that you deal with so much? Yeah, well, I mean, outside of the, the impending CMMC certifications from the Department of Defense that basically most of the AEC industry is gonna have to get, and that's a 900 pound gorilla in the room that few people realize are, are you know, coming at them, literally to the point where, where the research foundations for NECA and MCAA got together last year and had me do this at the beginning of this year, a complete CMMC project from stem to stern to explain all of this to contractors, electrical and mechanical and anybody, it's free to the world. You can go, you can go on their websites and look at it right now. That is, that is a, a deep concern in AEC right now. The other thing too, is that as, as companies, um, you know, as, a, as the AEC umbrella starts to adopt newer technologies like IOT, apps and all of that, there has to be a real deep understanding of, of IoT security, of app security, of how that relates to the organization, because we can weaponize IoT devices. A lot of times, uh, they're cut, they're cut, uh, corners are cut in production, and so by virtue of that, a lot of security controls are left out. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a conference and seen like a really cool, oh, this is for building automation. We can automate your entire building with all of these IoT sensors to measure temperature and airflow and, and everything else. And I say, great, well, what, what are the cybersecurity controls built in? I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, the building is going to secure it. You bring the firewall, you bring the threat detection. And the answer to that is no. Uh -huh. you, know, you have to be encrypting your IoT devices. You have to have hardened 
infrastructure. You have to have good patch management and updating. And a lot of IoT simply doesn't. So as I see this entire construction industry, and as I go to construction conferences to speak, I always love to walk at the booth to see, okay, like, you know, here's a, here's a completely remote control cat, you know, that will earth move for you without anybody need. That's great. But what happens when I hijack that thing and run it into the building? You know, I mean, like, these are things that, that, that we can do. And so there has to be this understanding that as you are developing and adopting this new amazing construction technology, it has to be married to cybersecurity, not just your office. That's, that's a huge thing. Okay. And actually, I'm sorry, earlier you referred to CMC. Could you, what, what was, what was, um, yeah. Could, could you spell that out for a minute? Because I, yeah, I that's, I'm that's the, the CMMC, that's the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. And essentially what, what that is, is the Department of Defense basically said, we are tired of having essentially our data, our information ripped off by foreign, foreign intelligence agencies that are just breaking into our contractors or subcontractors or sub-sub-subcontractors, et cetera. And so if you want to work with the DOD, you need to get CMMC certified. Now there are five levels, mechanical contractors, most of AEC, electrical contractors, sheet metal, et cetera, et cetera, are gonna need to get to CMMC level three, which is known as good cyber hygiene. There's 181 controls that they're gonna to have to put into place, document and actually have certified by a third party. Previous to this, the entire defense industrial base, which is 300,000 plus companies here in the United States would simply self-attest. Meaning, let's say you're that, you know, you're that mechanical contractor or that electrical contractor, and you're working with one of those big GCs, and they're building the marine barracks, well, the architectural plans and the schematics for that marine barracks are now known as controlled unclassified information. So if you are going to be running, let's say, the duct work to put in the HVAC, you need CMMC level three because you need access to, to those architectural plans, and you're going to store them in a secure manner. If you're running the electrical, you need the same thing. And so that's what we're talking about here. And there's just a ton of subcontractors out there. Like you, you as an organization may never ever bid directly the DOD, but you're working for the large GCs that are bidding them constantly. And if you don't have that certification by law, the GC can't work with you mm -hmm. on, on those specific things, which means you lose most favored status. And if you're thinking, well, I do like 2% DOD and 98% commercial, that's great and that's fine. But if you have a competitor in that space that can do that 2%, guess who's getting all the work? Guess who's getting the most favored status, taking it away from the contractors that don't have the certification. And I can't like ring this bell enough. I can't, like I literally yesterday, um, no, not two days ago, was on stage um, for SMACNA, literally talking about this to SMACNA as well, because SMACNA has got the same problem, the sheet metal guys. So, mm -hmm. so this is a huge problem that, that we are seeing AEC wide and it's just, nobody's really talking about it. And, and so sometimes I feel like I'm yelling into the wind here, but you know, I'll keep, I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. Well, we'll try to, we'll try to direct the wind for you here. We'll, we'll, we'll redirect <laughs> right it, I guess. Right on. Um, with, and you actually, you mentioned that that's, uh, it's all on online anyway, at the different websites, which, which are you talking about DOD or which websites? Uh, no, so, to see that? so you can go to the DOD to get like the actual guides and all of that, but we put together a lot of custom work. Maybe I think it's like something like six to 10 hours of me just on video like this, talking about every single control. And so on the mechanical contractor side, you can go to the John Argentilli Research Foundation's website okay. and they will have a page up on, on the um, electrical side, NECA, the National Electrical Contractors, um, their research foundation, Electri, you can go to their website and you will see all of that information as well. And I've got white papers, introductory videos. 
I have levels one, two, and three videos that literally go control by control through every single thing that you as an organization would have to put um, into place in order to get certified. And I did that as a guide for IT directors you know, for anybody, but it's free to the world. You can literally go right now and you can download the custom customized Excel file I made, watch the videos. It's all there for you to, to watch and learn, uh, you know, and that's courtesy of, you know, those research foundations for the MCAA and NECA. Okay, well, great. And when we post this, uh, the podcast, we'll also have links online to, uh, uh, to, to some of those sites that, that you're citing there. So I appreciate, appreciate that. And I, I think our sure. readers and listeners would as well. Just moving, I guess, where I know you're at it, you're almost at it. We're both almost at a time here, so we'll have to um, uh, to let you go. But what what are you most concerned about on the cyber front that the the 99 you know 0.9 percent of us aren't even considering? I mean, I, I know I'm sure it goes beyond people using public Wi-Fi at the library, but uh, right. Um, but what what is uh, what what's keeping you up at night? I guess in in the cyber field, I know there's plenty of, plenty of other things doing it now. Right, well, but. Uh, <laughs> Right. Like what isn't keeping me up at night, right? Exactly. Um, so something that we've been talking about for years in cybersecurity that I think has been very slow for realization, except for, let's say, the largest companies out there, but most small to mid-sized companies really don't have a good understanding of the risk that they have in their supply chain. Meaning, let's say your company is outsourcing HR to a third party, right? That third party is doing HR for a thousand different companies, then that third party HR gets hit. Well, now you have to declare a data breach as does the other 999 customers. And so where you have your data, where you're accessing, these are huge, huge problems that we've had for years, but a lot of organizations have zero clue what their actual supply chain risk is. They think that their security starts and stops at their office. Oh, I'm gonna put in a firewall, I'm gonna get antivirus, everybody's sitting in the office. Oh, I have a, I'm in the cloud, I'm in Amazon or Microsoft or wherever I am, and I'm gonna secure that and now it's good. Well, what happens with all the data that you have that's sensitive, that you're outsourcing to somebody else or a third party that you're letting come into your network to get information? These are things that organizations don't really think about. And when I start talking about supply chain risk or ask questions about it initially, when I'm working with a, with a new customer, it's like crickets, just crickets. You know, mm-hmm. you can't, you know, oh my God, you know, and on the more personal side, the other thing that we've really been heavily focused on, and I think it's so important, is identity management. I mean, you've probably heard me on stage pounding a million different times. You need to enable multi-factor authentication and get two-factor authentication, but we are evolving into the next standard of that in identity management, which basically is going above and beyond you just getting a random code on an authenticator app, which is table stakes. You need everybody. I don't care if you're on Facebook or a corporate login. Everybody needs that, but we are starting to understand behavioral patterns thanks to artificial intelligence and identity management in a way that we never have before. So like right now, for example, my identity management solution has me geo-locked into the state of Illinois. I'm in Chicago, right? And so if I don't unlock it and I fly, let's say to LA or to New York, my logins won't work because now I'm out of my geofence. Conversely, if somebody in Russia at three in the morning, you know, here it's three in the morning, that's business hours in Moscow. If somebody is trying to log in, you know, by, by virtue of that, they can't by default because they're out of position. Or we're also looking at things like geo-velocity. So maybe I am unlocked to the world given my travel, but if somebody's in Moscow at 3 a.m. trying to log in and two seconds later, you know, they're in Beijing, the system understands like, well, they don't have a Star Trek transporter. No way you can get from Moscow to Beijing instantly unless you're doing something that is out of the scope of the normal behavior that the user does and therefore it locks me out of all of my systems, protecting all the assets in the company in one shot. These are things that 
that that keep us up at night because if you look at it colonial pipeline got hit with a stolen username and password in the dark web and if they had multi-factor authentication or identity management in that it would have shut it down cold we would never would have been discussing colonial pipeline you or me probably didn't even know they would have existed you know, mm -hmm. as we are talking here, if it wasn't for that. And we've seen compromises in AEC where people have been taken for a million dollars plus, or I should say organizations have been taken for a million dollars plus and in business email compromise scams. And I never would have gotten a call if they had simply turned on the free 2FA from Microsoft. Simple mm -hmm. as that, you know, so adding to identity mm -hmm. management, adding, you know, that behavioral understanding, I think is something that is so important these days. Uh, you know, that's going above and beyond. So those are the two core things I think that most businesses need to focus on, on top of the normal defensive things, you know, and that in data loss prevention, you know, because mm -hmm. with ransomware, you get extorted and there are ways to actually combat extortion attempts so they can copy out the data, but it's still encrypted so they can't extort it against you. I mean, there's a lot that goes into these things, but a lot of corporations just simply aren't aware these solutions exist. And it's oftentimes because their IT providers aren't at that level. So, mm -hmm. you know, here we are. Well, Nick, thanks again. And just, uh, I guess the last question is just uh, beyond this, with, with all the, I guess with, with the curse of knowing as much as you do that's out there that would truly frighten anybody. What, what do you do to, uh, especially I guess during a pandemic, what do you do to stay sane? I, I know you have a good sense of humor. So how does Nick Espinosa de-stress in these most stressful times? Well, the cybersecurity industry has multiple AA meetings and pretty much every, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's uh, part of it is, you know, I, I do like cars and motorcycles and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and it has been it has been difficult. I have, I have to say it's been a hard time, like getting away, you know, to go on vacation, one, because of COVID, but two, because we are just so unbelievably slammed. So, you know, I try to unwind, um, you know, by, you know, taking, you know, drives and, and stuff like that. Or, um, you know, I like uh, I like playing chess as well. I kind of unwind. Mm -hmm. I get to focus on that and everything else, you know, and I, I do enjoy a cocktail every now and then, not quite to the <laughs> AA level, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we're, there you we're go. All, we're all doing, we're all trying to stay sane as, as you say, Amen. so all that's uh, above board, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, now where, when, when people want to learn more about you or follow your, your latest uh, uh, advice on, on all things, where, where do you send them? Yeah, I mean, you can connect to me on LinkedIn uh, slash Nick Espinoza, if LinkedIn's your jam or Facebook, um, and or Facebook and Twitter is Nick AESP. You'll see my mugshot, you know, in, in the picture there and all of that. You can connect to me on any of those three. I do daily videos and daily podcasts on top of my radio show and everything else. And we've got some actually really interesting guests coming up as well on the radio show. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, very excited actually for one of these guests. And, uh, you know, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, you can, you can check all those out. And my radio show is the Deep Dive Radio Show, um, hopefully on an NPR affiliate near you. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Uh, it's, you certainly uh, certainly are busy in these in these times. Yeah. Um, now, uh, thanks again for your time here, and everyone. If, if you like what you've heard here today, please click like and share this podcast with friends and colleagues. And to hear previous podcasts on HPAC on the air, please please visit our our growing media library at the members only section of our website, hpac.com. So, thanks again for joining us. Thank especially to you, Nick. And thank uh, you. thanks everyone for listening and tuning in. And uh, take care and stay safe at home, at work, and online too. Thanks very much.